The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hi, Lori H. Schwartz, your tech cat here. And this week, we bring to you a series of interviews that the Voice America team and I captured on the floor of the Javits Center in New York last week at the 20th anniversary for the AdTech Conference, now called MADE, powered by AdTech. AdTech, of course, is the original industry authority for marketing and media technology, where marketing, technology, and media companies assemble to share new ways of thinking, to network, to build strong partnerships, and to find new strategies to compete in this ever-changing marketplace. So we interviewed a number of thought leaders who are all leveraging global tech platforms to move the needle in the advertising and marketing industries. So stay tuned to hear some great interviews from MADE, powered by AdTech 2016. You're tuned in to MADE Conference, powered by AdTech. Hello, hello everybody, and welcome to Made Powered by AdTech. We are broadcasting live from the expo floor. This is Lori H. Schwartz, your tech cat, programming all the content here at AdTech New York 2016. And I have sitting next to me two of my favorite keynoters today, um, because I tracked them down and stalked them and made them come to AdTech, of course. And that is the fabulous Eric Jacks from Colab and the fabulous Karen, Kevin Ferguson from Musical.ly. And they did a, an amazing session today all about Musical.ly and what's happening with that new social media platform and what's happening with influencers who are reaching millions and millions of people with their great content. So first, introduce yourselves and tell us about Musical.ly and Collab um, so everyone can learn what, what's going on. I mean, it is insane what is happening right now on your platform. It's truly nuts, yeah. Well, thanks for the intro. Lori. Uh, my name is Kevin Ferguson, run sales and business development for Musical.ly. And for those who don't know, Musical.ly is a mobile app on iOS and Android where users are able to make 15 second videos. Um, it started out two years ago and a lot of those videos were made to music that we had licensed on the platform. So a ton of music videos, lip sync videos were being made on Musical.ly. And since then, our audience has grown wildly. We've seen uh, the content diversify away from just music into comedy and other areas of focus um, and we have a supremely engaged user base who's just so excited to come to the platform to create and consume a bunch of content. And um, how, how does it work exactly? So yeah. I make a video and then other people see that video and use parts of it and 
liked you and so on and so on and so on, kind of like that hair commercial. It, I, I like that idea, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what makes Musical.ly unique is that you can use an audio file from anyone who has created a video. So if you and I were to film a 15-second video right now, what we call them original sound videos, where we actually don't pick a music track from the library, Eric could pick up his phone, look at our video, and go, I'm going to use Kevin and Lori's audio to film my own video, and he could lip-sync to that or he could dance to it. Uh, so we're seeing users do really innovative things, either using music from the platform, their own sound, or taking sound from their friends and just doing innovative twists on videos. It's a functionality that we call being inspired by or re-musing. There's a lot of like muse words associated with Musical.ly right now, so that's, uh, that's what we call it. And speaking of muse and musers, we jump over to Eric, who is at Colab, and Colab actually aggregates, represents, manages these influencers, is that correct? Or how, how do you describe what Colab is doing? Yeah, we're a uh, digital content studio, so, uh, so we work across a variety of platforms, but uh, we have a bunch of diff different things that we do. So first and foremost, we're a talent management company. We represent about 500 of the top social media stars, um, and we're, we're, we're really looking at trends of where those people are posting most, and early on... You know, it's probably been a year and a half that we've been working with Musical.ly before anyone knew what it was when it was when we were showing our statistics <laughs> earlier. A million, two million. I mean, it was like it was like that when we first started working with them. Right. And we started the, the talent were on there. Now we represent about 150 of the top That's Musically stars or crazy. musers. Crazy. Um, and across our network, we reach about 750 million fans. We also have a bunch of channels that we manage. Uh, we have a lot of owned and operated channels, so our network is about 11 billion views a month. Uh, that is crazy. So that's pretty nuts. Now, as someone who is, um, I know you're going to be shocked by this, but I'm over 30. What? I, <laughs> <laughs> I have a hard time using Snapchat, which is also a very popular uh, platform, and I've heard that it's you know designed for a different uh, you know brain, basically a, a younger brain. They don't they don't seem to get hung up in the nav. I, I really struggle with the nav. When I went to use Musically, when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, I'm, I bet you I'm going to struggle with using this too. But strangely enough, it is so easy to use and it's so much fun. And so I'm trying to figure out like how did you manage not to piss me off yep. being over 30? Um, use and it's beautiful. I mean, it's funky. There's widgets and gidgets and icons, and it's just really pretty. Yeah, we think it's super easy to use. It's super colorful. I'm I'm 30, and I'm one of those people who yeah. has a lot of trouble with sound. I'm like, you where know do what? I go? Let me just give you some advice: stay out of the sun and take care of your knees. That's what I'm going to say Wear right sunscreen. Now. <laughs> um, take care of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's what makes it so we're starting to refer to Musical.ly as a general audience app. Yeah. Because literally, you know, I just showed um, I, I just showed a lady who arguably uh, said herself she's not in the core demo of Musical.ly. Right, right, right. Um, I showed her how to use it and it's shockingly easy to use. Yeah. And, we yeah. and it's intentional. We make it so that the barriers to creating fun, interesting content don't really exist on Musical.ly. Yeah, it's, re it's really different. So I have fun just hanging out on it, which yeah. I'm surprised about. Now, jumping over over to you, how do you know when someone is going to be big? You know, do you wait until they're of a certain bigness in terms of users, or can you tell when you watch a piece of content this person's going to hit? Um, sometimes you can tell. I mean, our, our company was started by creators, so our founders were original YouTube stars, and they work with a lot of talent. Start, and they had a studio ten years ago called Go Potato TV. And that turned into the actual YouTube studios prior to YouTube building their big megaplex in Playa Vista. 
So we've been working with talent for a long time. Um, but when, we, when we're trying to find new talent to work with, a lot of it is really, it's, it's numbers-based. So we have some technology that we've built called RankZoo. It started as Vine and it was a leader, uh, with Vine, and it was a leaderboard that monitored you know, posts, engagement, activity. There's an algorithm on the back end that sort of puts those people into ranking based on how they're performing overall. That's a public-facing version, but with Vine shifting away, we actually, behind the scenes, have developed similar technology for a lot of other platforms. So we look at the numbers, and we start seeing people that are, you know, maybe they're number 1,000 one day, on an, and then all of a sudden they're number 600, and then they're number 200. We're looking at people who are moving the needle in terms of the engagement. Mm-hmm. They may not have the followers right away, and then we start working with them, and we sort of pride ourselves on the fact that we're a creator development studio. So we have resources where we can help develop their assets that really define their brand. So when they're doing thumbnails and banners and everything on all their different social media profiles, we make those consistent. And then um, you know, we're, we're helping them every, every way we can. We also get turned on to influencers by other talent that we represent they're like oh you should be working with so-and-so or partners like musically who are like hey this person's like really blowing up you guys should talk to them so so you guys stay connected when certain people hit Uh, do you bring people who are doing well on other platforms to musically because you think there's going to be some magic there absolutely and um what blows me away is just the amount of people on the platform and why, why I, th- I think it was so important for you guys to come and speak to brands and marketers is I don't think anyone really understands what's happening here, <laughs> 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 which always blo- blows, me, blows me away, is you have 150 million unique users. I mean, yep. people would give their right eyeball to have that kind of engagement. So I don't think people really understand what's happening here. So is it starting to seep in to the people that spend money uh, on, on advertising what's happening on your platform? It is. It is. I think we've seen it ourselves. You know, I started at Musical.ly six months ago and I think very few people who weren't teens knew what we were doing, right? And now we're on the cover of Billboard magazine and we've been... P- a, a story in every major media outlet has been written about Musical.ly now. Um, so, so I think we're starting to really enter the pop culture and media vernacular and hopefully that, that continues. So brands are starting to get excited. <laughs> why, why are you laughing? No, I was just saying, we, I went for an impromptu meeting at the office last week, and the Today Show was there oh, and yeah. ended up filming our meeting, so that just goes to was show. Was it Matt Lauer? No, no, I don't know who it that was. was. Not. She no. was very nice, though. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll be Lauer one day. Well, but you know that you've hit popular culture if the Today Show is trying to wrap their head around what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, one of the talent that was in our presentation, Baby Ariel, today, she's been on Good Morning America twice. Right, like right. as a big featured piece. You yeah, know, it wasn't she's just five seconds. spoken at conferences. At, she's 15 speaking at conferences well, that are all CMOs I mean, I was it's at really VidCon and I watched everyone follow her around the room and um, just be a crazy person. Like, it, there was yeah. screaming, screaming people. So, okay, so we're looking at this like this is a phenomena. Now, are you monetizing it now? I mean, is the business being monetized now? Very lightly. So, so we are, we're really focused on user growth. We want to keep our users engaged and happy, coming to the platform, staying excited about the platform, and finding new people to follow, new content to explore. So we're starting to work with brands and lightly exploring different monetization tests, but it's not a huge, huge focus for us now. And with you, you, you obviously have influencers that can't get 
paid by brands on other platforms to yeah. do things. So are you going to start to bring some of that thinking to Musical.ly? Well, we are, but uh, the approach is slightly different. Um, the relationship that we have with Musical.ly is one in that we're trying to work together to figure out how... Because, you know, there, there are certain things that talent can do independently, right? They can use their channels. doesn't require any approval on the platforms or not. Those aren't necessarily the best integrations, and mm. the brands don't always see the results that they want from that. So we're trying to be more integrated in how we're working with Musical.ly and, and other partners so that it's part of a much bigger media buy, right? Our talent, um, they're helping come up with the creative idea. They're helping see that through. We're using Musical.ly and other platforms, but it's all a very collaborative approach to, to marketing, and that's what's going to work best for us and for the brands. 100%. So um, the, the other thing that strikes me um, amazingly about the platform is, uh, of one of the big social media platforms, is it's not American, right? Right. So our company is actually a Chinese company. So our founders, our two co-founders are in Shanghai. Um, the, two years ago, they ex tested the app in China and the U.S. It hit in the U.S. and did not in China. We have a lot of theories as to why that is. But it, it's a U.S.-focused business that is mostly run out of China. Because most of the other platforms have been built in the U.S. and are going Correct. out. This is built in China, but is exploding here. And then we, I know it's global, so where else are you seeing global growth? in the U.K., France, Germany, a lot of Europe. Uh, growth, especially in Latin America right now, and that is a market of focus for us. And also other countries in Asia. Southeast Asia, right? Yeah. Pretty, pretty and what about you from an artist's perspective? Does an American-based artist play well? Is Baby Ariel... Baby Ariel? <laughs> Le Baby <laughs> Ariel in other places? Or? Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, is, is that global? It, uh, the, appeal, is, the appeal is... It doesn't matter? Especially for Musical.ly, it's global because music really can be is universal. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of artists that are in all kinds of countries performing in English and no issues at all. Um, I would say for us, we're, we're actually seeing a lot of our talent become popular in other countries just as a result of what we're doing internally. So Collab has offices in, uh, in Japan and Korea. And we have a lot of YouTube channels that we manage there. And we're actually taking a lot of American content subtitling it or dubbing it putting it there and it's performing just as well as in the u.s and those people are gaining massive followings wow. in those countries and we're starting to do that with more and more clients and they're seeing success there god that's so interesting all right so globally there's there's movement now let's talk a little bit about other platforms meaning we saw for a while there YouTube stars jumping over to broadcast television mm -hmm. with moderate success, really. And it yeah. seems that a lot of the right. YouTube talent is of a certain ilk of talent. They're not really actors or actresses, but they have a personality that's attractive. Yeah. Do you think your talent, the folks that are playing on, in your world, are going to move to traditional music business or... Uh, broadcast television or film? Is, is there going to be more of a real transition there? Um, or is it too early? Is no, it too early? no, no. I mean, it, for sure, people are going to do it. Yeah. Um, is it right for everyone? Probably not. Do people have the, di you know, I, I think there's people on social media who've had success very quickly. And then you look at that person versus someone who's a traditional actor or actress or musician who's put in the work, right? Right, right, right. right. There, it's years and years and years of acting classes, 
in the studio, you know, whatever to to get to see that success. It's sort of you know the ten thousand ten thousand hours of time, you know, e- equals success. Um, I think the ones that put in the work will probably see results and be able to make that jump. The ones that don't will just continue on and they'll phase in and phase out like they do. Um, you know, we're trying to help the ones that really want to make that transition. We provide acting classes for people. We have improv classes that we oh, provide. Oh, that makes so Super much sense. We're, yeah, we're, yeah. We, do, we do a lot of that because we want to support them. You know, for people that want to record music, we're doing a lot of that. Uh, we're working with labels, uh, you know, with Leanne and, and some of the other artists. We're helping them connect the dots so that they can go record albums. They can go on tour. Their songs show up on the radio. And we're using all of the resources that we have to support whatever creative endeavors they have. That's so great. So to, to wrap up the conversation, where is Musical.ly going to be, say, in four or five months from now? Are there big changes coming? What are you allowed to tell us? Great question. I, I think there are always changes coming. So I think, you know, again, starting six months ago, I, I didn't anticipate that we'd be here today. And I think the next six months will also be another roller coaster ride. We're always introducing new features, some of which are going to roll out toward the end of this week. And we'll see how our user base reacts because ultimately this app is for them. We want folks to be excited but, to but you it. are going to aim towards monetization yes uh, I mean, cause absolutely because obviously it's not endless totally financing w- we have two goals well, right? and if it is I'd like <laughs> you to introduce me to that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we want to grow our daily active user base priority one priority two we want to figure out the right approach to brand partnerships and make some money while we do it that's great and collab what do, what do you see in the next four or five months um, we're just going to keep growing. I mean, we're growing as a company. I mean, I, I started working at Collab a year and a half ago. We've doubled in size since then. We'll probably double in size again. We hope that to have more partnerships. I, you know, I, we're, you know even, even next week, we're, you know, the founder of Musical.ly is coming over from China. We're going to sit down with, with him and the rest of the team and figure out, okay, what are other ways that we can work together to really expand on that partnership, whether that's putting talent do we look at other verticals? How do we help diversify their audience, maybe age it up so that more brands are looking, you know, that aren't really focused on the teen audience, that they, they'll come to Musical.ly and they'll want to do, they'll d- want to activate there. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the space is continuing to explode. It's continuing to and explode. it's just... It's a mind blow. Well, it has been so great talking to Kevin Ferguson and Eric Jacks from Colab and from Musical.ly here live broadcasting on the floor at Made, powered by AdTech 2016 in New York. And hopefully we'll, we'll have you come and present at Made in May 2017 in San Diego. Awesome. And you can blow us up with what's happening with the platform then. Would love to. And all the very young people. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having us. This is Lori H. Schwartz, your tech cat, broadcasting live on Voice America. You're tuned in to Made Conference, powered by AdTech. 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 The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. You're tuned in to Made Conference, powered by AdTech. 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 
Hi, everybody. This is Lori H. Schwartz, and we are broadcasting live from the MADE, powered by AdTech Conference 2016, here in New York on Voice America Live. And right now, I am about to jump into another great conversation with Guy Primus, who's the CEO of the virtual reality company. And Guy and I just got off the stage a minute ago talking about VR for marketers. So tell us a little bit about VRC. VRC is a content creation studio. We focus on creating extraordinary experiences for virtual reality. So we combine cinematic elements with uh, video game elements and, and provide an immersive environment for people to really experience great stories and great characters. So when you, I know you have a, a varied background. Were you someone that was always dealing with technology? How do I answer that question? So I, here's, here's who I was. I was the kid who was, um, you know, I was a DJ when I, when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. My father bought a turntable and I borrowed his turntable and I would break the needles. Um, they bought me a mixer for Christmas and I took apart the mixer. Um, you know, that, that took apart the turntable. I remember when I got to you know, school my sophomore year, um, the, the vertical hold wouldn't work on my roommate's television, so I took apart his television. <laughs> Still home 400 bucks for that, but that's who I was. So I've always been interested in technology. Uh, I just, the, the content piece was something that I've been passionate about. I was a latchkey kid, watched a lot of television growing up, and so I've always been looking for ways to you know, connect with what I call my Ted Turner moment, when you know, technology and, and uh, content come together in a really organic way, and that's what virtual reality is to me. So, and, and that's the interesting thing that's come up in so many conversations with virtual reality is this idea of taking art and tech and blending them together in an interesting way. So you're working with a lot of well-known creative directors, filmmakers, producers. How are they bridging that gap to the technology? Because some of them aren't at all, have never done VR before, but they're artists. So, so how, are they, how are we connecting these dots? Well, I think it really depends on the personality. Um, some people are going to just jump in and immerse themselves, you know, kind of a baptism by fire. And I think those are the ones that are really, uh, you know, kind of going to push the, the medium forward because they're already used to telling great stories. They know the VFX pipeline. They know how to, you know, kind of get the best performance out of someone. Um, and, and then you have people that are really, you know, they, they're in it because they think it's cool and new. Um, they're going to have a little bit more of a challenge because it's not, it's not organically what they want to pursue. They just know that they have to be in it. And so I think when the passion leads the pursuit, then you have something magical. So does virtual reality belong at an ad tech conference or a martech conference? Because I wanted you here because I feel like this is the next place for brands and marketers to go, but is it ready for prime time, do you think? Yeah, it's absolutely ready for prime time. And I think, you know, 2017 is going to be, you know, kind of a, a watershed year. And I think, you know, so this time next year, there will be a lot more activity. I mean, we, we, the, the kind of 800-pound gorilla in terms of digital media hasn't entered the space yet. Apple is still kind of out there lurking somewhere. Right. And, and, and you know, we lots of chatter about what they may do. And well, they have patents. I mean, they have really smart people and they have passion. And, and, you know, great design and, and great products, you know, so we, we expect them to do something big. But I think that, you know, what Sony and Oculus and Vive have shown, what Samsung has shown, is that there's a market and, and they can connect content with devices in a really organic way. That actually motivates people to do things that they, you know, I, I think people were predicting that this was just going to be, you know, a, a really, um, a lot of hype. You know, the, the yes. kind of Gardner hype curve, you know, this Everyone time last year. Everyone was comparing it to 3D TVs. Not me. You know, I yeah. know. And I, I was always like, no, this feels different to me because there's so much money going in. 
Right. And so many colleagues of mine um, in Los Angeles, and I've mentioned this to you before, have like stopped everything they used to do mm -hmm. and have just plunged deep into virtual reality. So what is it about it that is drawing all this great talent and money? Well, I, th I think it, it just fundamentally changes the game. And that's what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Yeah. Is like there has to be a reason for virtual reality to exist. It's not just because it's cool and innovative. There, are, there have been a lot of innovative technologies that really haven't had a reason to exist. I think when you look at the interactive elements, especially of virtual reality, combining those with you know, the, the promise of being in, a, in an environment that is, you, know, you really can't escape from. You can't really close your eyes. You can't run away from, from the environment. You can't turn your head and look away. You, know, it, it, you, you, you close your eyes and something happens and, and that will, you know, kind of is coming too. But I think it's really, there, there's a reason for it to be. There's a, a way that this is fundamentally different than television or film. It's fundamentally different. Do you, do you think that brands are going to op up, open up VR agencies or are they going to come to you or are they going to go to some of these boutique VR or are they going to go out and, and train people? Like how are they going to build out this ecosystem for yeah, themselves? I, I think it's all of the above and, and we'll see what you know, survives. We are absolutely pursuing um, brands and, and really want to create great stories for them and, and not just great stories kind of I, I really separate brand essence from being brand essential right. we want to create brand essential content where the the brand is actually a character and it, it there's a reason again for the brand to be in the content I gave right. the example of Iron City Beer in a Pittsburgh Steelers themed uh, piece yep. I'm from Pittsburgh I, Iron City is it was fundamental I mean it was the, the first beer that I ever snuck out of my grandmother's refrigerator you know? <laughs> so that, that's it, it means a lot to me and and you know, Pittsburgh means a lot to me. And so when, when you can have that kind of the, the product be essential to the story, uh, and, and virtual reality does that like nothing else. Right, you can immerse, immediately immerse yourself into the world of that brand. Correct. Uh, so, so, okay, so if that's the case, and I said this to you on stage, but this is my biggest concern, because I used to develop emerging media platforms for marketers and brands, mm -hmm. and inevitably the agency would come to me and they would say, what are your distribution numbers? And I would say, well, we need your media dollars <laughs> to push to this new platform. Right. And they would say, see you, bye. And the only reason they would give me money often is for research. Right. They wouldn't give it yeah, to try out. Yeah, we talked about that a long yeah, time ago. Yeah. It's been almost two years we were yeah. talking about that. So right. what, what do you think, I mean, do you think that this is going to hold up people because you need to put goggles on? I think it, I don't know about the, the holding and putting on goggles holding up people. I think that, again, the, the people that shouldn't wait are those that, you know, can benefit from trial uh, of the brand and really kind of making sure that their brand is, is again, relevant to, to the, the narrative. And so those people, it, it, driving a car, for instance, and that's where people are, you know, the, the car driving is actually essential. You can actually experience that. You can grab the steering wheel and you can, you know, with a motion control chair and a VR headset, you, you feel as if you're driving that car. Right, right. And with haptic feedback, you know, it, it's going to be even more immersive. That makes total sense to me, too. Rather than going to a car dealership filled with cars, I can just walk into a room. Uh, it, who wants to do that? I mean, you know, yeah. it, it's cool. The new car smell. And again, we're, we're still only dealing with um, three of the five senses. Even right. when you kind of add motion and feedback, right. uh, you know, the, the taste and smell still aren't there. So that new car smell is actually really relevant to the new car experience and, and that, that driving experience. But we're getting there as well. But it's those brands that are really uh, kind of organically connected to a trial and an immersion that will win. Uh, you know, this, this Patron ad that uh, I saw two years ago in Rough Reality, it really made sense for me because... They took you on a tour of the factory or yeah, something? It was, it was actually started off as a bee pollinating uh, the uh, agave plant. Mm. And then they kind of showed you the agave plant, the harvesting of the agave plant, you know, the putting it in uh, barrels. It, it was just an amazing, and if you really are a snob, 
about your liquor, uh, you know, or about your spirit. Knowing where it comes exactly, from. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I would, I definitely drink enough tequila that it would be good to know <laughs> where it comes from. <laughs> well, there's actually a number on each bottle of tequila that tells you the factory that's made. I don't really? Know if you know that. Yeah. On Patron or on any on tequila? On every tequila. Really? The government regulates it, yeah. I should ask to see those bottles. And that there, could become a new bar that. thing for me. There's an app for that. Really? Yeah. That is really cool. So is VRC, by the way, going to build a VR app? I mean, are you looking to distribute your own content, or are you going to be more like a traditional motion picture company where different, pe- different you know, distributors are using your content? Um, I cannot answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play I'm fa- with everybody. I'm famous right? for asking you the uh, questions. Like, what does Steven Spielberg's new movie with you rhyme with? It rhymes with... <laughs> <laughs> I, I would really get in trouble if I answered that one yeah, <laughs> in multiple ways. What's he, by the way, just fangirl, what's he like to hang out with? Is he just I, a total normal I, I person? I can't say, so I'm the business guy. I'm not right. the creative. I, I let the creatives do what they do, and he's ultra creative, so I'm not hanging out with him, but he was very, um, you know, v- very nice person. I mean, my, my son goes to a school that, you know, kind of he's donated heavily to, and so I just have known for a long time that he's like a really authentic person, yeah. and that's how he comes across. Uh, in, yeah, in he's a life. mensch is what I hear. A mensch. A mensch. Right. You like that word? Yeah, I love that word. You want me actually. to teach you another one? Yeah, teach me another Fistache. one. Fistache. See, I've never heard that one. That fistache means eh? <laughs> it's just you. It's kind of like, oh, man, homie. Um, Zorus. How about that? Do you know Zorus? No. That means trouble. Uh, not, not thesaurus. Not thesaurus, no. Okay. I'll trouble. teach you later. Okay, cool. <laughs> can I ask you another question? Yeah, please do. Next time I come on, can, can we have some like hip-hop music playing instead yeah. of the hard rock? Yeah, so one, I do know that you're doing a lot of music stuff, too. So mm-hmm. you're doing, you are doing music videos in VR. Um, music experiences. I think you know, okay. video, again, suggests a passive experience. Um, yeah. you know, we we want to do things that are interactive and engaging. That's really cool. All right, so we've just been talking to Guy Primus from Virtual Reality Company, who just came off of a great keynote at AdTech, and who's really setting the stage for how marketers and brands and agencies can really dive into VR. And you're predicting 2017 is the year that this becomes realer? Uh, it become, it, it's real now, and it just becomes realer. And crossing the chasm or you know, kind of the critical mass, whatever you want to call it. That's great. And what can we look for, for from VRC? The Martian experience is coming out or yeah, has yeah, come Fox, out? Fox is, is putting that out uh, this year. And that's going to be in that cool chair? Um, well, th- it, that's one way you can experience it. In that chair that shakes. The D-Box. Yeah, yeah. the D-Box. And then there are, there's obviously other content you're coming out with all Absolutely. the time. And stuff that unless I get a few of those favorite beers you like to drink in you... Uh, you're not going to tell me the name I, of the I don't stuff. drink them anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's when I was a teenager. What are you talking about? All right. Well, this is Lori H. Schwartz with Guy Primus, broadcasting live from MADE, powered by Ad Tech on Voice America Live. And we'll be back soon with some more great thought leaders. Thank you, Guy Primus. Yeah. You're tuned in to MADE Conference, powered by Ad Tech. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. You're tuned in to Made Conference, powered by AdTech. 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 
Hello, everybody. This is Lori H. Schwartz, your tech cat, and we are rocking out here at MADE, powered by Ad Tech Conference 2016 in New York City at the Javits Center. And I am sitting down with Tom Goodwin, who is the EVP of Innovation at Zenith Media. And Tom just spoke on a panel. Hello. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. <laughs> Tom and I have, ha I think we have met, but we also have had very similar career paths in that we were always in charge of sort of being the disruptor on staff at, at large companies, and especially agencies. And we were just... Um, Discussing, bemoaning, sharing. Sharing. sharing I mean, basically, you summed up my entire career in like a sentence. <laughs> I'm a very reductive thinker. <laughs> well, what did you talk about on today's panel? Uh, we had a wide-ranging conversation about everything new in the industry, which is kind of where my role comes from. Um, you know, I kind of profoundly believe that advertising hasn't really changed that much. We've mm -hmm. talked a lot about change. But we haven't really done the kind of hard work and the hard thinking that's required to change the industry. Um, so every panel I pretty much speak on, including today, is about some of the changes in behavior, some of the changes in technologies, uh, some of the changes in expectations for the developing world, um, and what we can do about that. So everything from artificial intelligence all the way through to virtual reality, through to programmatic. Uh, and I try to take a very sort of positive but disruptive view on things where I can talk about all the amazing things that we will be able to do in the sort of moderately far future uh, rather than the current uh, environment, which is so complex and messy, it's, yes. it's quite hard to, to <laughs> is, do things. Is it six months out that you're looking? Three years? Like, what's the time span? If, I don't want to go all sort of William Gibson on you about the future being here but not evenly distributed, but the reality is that there are some things which are there for the taking but we're still not doing anything about. So, mm -hmm. you know, the world of, of kind of instant messaging for me kind of fits into that category. Yes, yeah. So that's a conversation for today, and let's do some stuff. And then other aspects, you know, like in all reality, I think the changing media environment caused by self-driving cars is probably further away than we realize. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, 2030 is probably going to be the time when and we And they're, they're talking about it now like it's five years away. Yeah, I think... Um, Do you think that's cray-cray? It's... Uh, Maybe it's that my viewpoint on the world has changed as my job has become so technology-centric and my Twitter feed is curated around that. But I feel like increasingly we think that all these big things are just on the horizon, that everything's going to be radically different. You know, whether it's like the adoption rates of virtual reality, whether it's uh, a technology like Magic Leap, whether it's self-driving cars, I actually think that most of these things are probably, we're probably talking about them too much right now. And then by the time they arrive, we're going to be so bored and tired of it that uh, we'll kind of forget that we ever <laughs> so talked we're, about we're it. So we're too early talking about it. What turns you on personally the most of all these different categories? I think... I mean, do you get turned on by your job? <laughs> <laughs> Very uncomfortable <laughs> question. I think for me, what I love is the application of technology to make consumers' lives better. Okay. And that sounds a bit like a sort of GlaxoSmithKline uh, creds deck. But <laughs> like, we don't have time. Like we, we spend our entire... Get out of my head, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> we spend our entire life... like with media and messages bombarded at us from every direction. Yeah. And I think so much about advertising is about extra and it's like, have this brand story, upload your photo, click here, do this, save that, share this. And, and any technology that helps make my life easier is what I get excited by. And right, it, it makes right. me sound very pragmatic and like, I'm but not doing my job very true. well. But it is true. It, it is. If it, it works, then you're happy. It's when, um, you know, one of the low-cost airlines in England is called EasyJet. And when you have their app, 
uh, you know, two years ago on their app, it would tell you when the plane was boarding. Yeah. I mean, it's not the most exciting piece of technology but in the world. But it works. But it's did its job. You're in a bar and you have reassurance that now is the time to go to is the gate. Is that where EasyJet would find you, Tom, in a bar? <laughs> <laughs> At occasions. <laughs> Sometimes in the BA lounge. Um, okay. But it, it sounds horribly boring to talk about that. Yeah. But that was, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like when I go on Google Maps right now and I need to go back to the office quite soon, when I type in the destination of the office and I get, you know, three rival car share companies all telling me exactly how long it's going to be before the car arrives, how long it's going to take me to get there, how much it's going to cost me, and I can book that with a swipe, you know, that is really quite profound. Yeah. So, yeah. Whether, you know, whether it's hotel tonight, whether it's uh, mobile coupons that allow me to sort of redeem things right. you know, effortlessly, it's actually the application of technology that makes things easier that I get most excited about. I think um, you've just described sort of my experience with um, Alexa with Amazon Alexa because yeah. I have them throughout my house Okay, <laughs> and I work out of a, a home office and Alexa powers my musical experience all day through Pandora but does it work though? it, it does all it right. totally does can you so come to my house and sort out oh, my yes I will <laughs> so I literally all day long go Pandora create the Ella Fitzgerald channel and then I get this great curated mix for a couple of hours of you know sort of 1950s light jazz whatever you know um, and, and it's just because I can't remember the names of artists. I can't remember songs. So I like to use sort of an aggregator name. But, but I am obsessed about that. And yeah. then in the morning, I do Alexa news briefing. Okay. And it takes me through NPR and all that, that stuff. Yeah. So, um, and we have them in almost every room. Okay. Well, what, I, what I like about that is the technology has become the support function. Like... Um, the beautiful thing about Alexa is it's almost a kind of metaphor for how technology should, should be in that you notice it when it's working, it sort of augments your life, but it's not sort of foreground. And I think the next stage, not that you've asked me about this, but if you did ask me what you, I think these things are going to become, yeah, tell it, me. it's where everything starts to sort of connect with each other. Yeah. I think um, we've sort of built the, the infrastructure and the internet, but we don't have quite got the sort of protocols and the processes in place. But when I can say to Alexa, show me John Oliver tonight, uh, and it works when I can say to Alexa, um, you know, when, when I enter the house and automatically the lights are set up based on how I'm feeling that day, when I can order soap powder. Context, and it's context. Context. Yeah. It's about smartness. It's about things doing the thinking for you so you don't have to deal with all this stuff. Now, when you go to into your agency, are you presenting them with a framework for all of these things or is it per client, per client's business that you're presenting these ideas or how are you sort of serving up these new ideas? It, it's very client dependent. Um, it, it makes me laugh how many panels I speak on and they go, what do your clients think about this? As if somehow there's like one uniform group of clients that are all right. like broadly all similar. Yeah. You know, we, we have clients that say to us, you know, scare the hell out of us. Everything new we need to do right away. Right. Uh, but we have no money. We have clients that are ultra cautious and everything is actually working just fine for them. Again, we assume that change is constant everywhere, but actually, you know, if you're selling laundry powder, like life is not that different today as it was five years ago. Uh, so there are some people that don't want to change anything, and for good reason, and, and everything between the two. There are some people that got huge amounts of money but won't do anything. Some people have moderate amounts of money and don't try anything. So I think um, how I approach this is very specific per client, both in terms of their business reality and their personal reality, and it's also very dependent on where I can add the most value. Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. actually, um, you know, I think airlines have a relationship with people which genuinely gives them lots of opportunities to do things better you know car rental companies hotels retailers probably the same you know if you make soup um, things are probably not quite so uh, expansive 
So it's, it's the other thing that I loved when I was at the lab, and it was fun before it got unfun. It well, was always fun. <laughs> well, when it was really fun, I loved working with multiple business categories because I felt like having perspective totally. from different businesses yes. was helpful to the other businesses. Absolutely. You know, because I had colleagues coming in who only worked on Microsoft, yes. and they only thought about that. And I think that's so limiting. I think it's the best thing. I think um, the more our jobs are about variety and width, the better. And that includes um, width around the sort of demographics. It includes sort of width around categories, width around sort of different stages of sort of business transformation. But even geographically as well. Um, as you may be able to tell, I'm English. and, and I knew you were something-ish, yeah, but yeah. I, w I haven't Austrian. seen you in synagogue, uh, <laughs> so I knew it wasn't my-ish. Every, every week. Um, but it means I've got a bit of a global thing where sometimes I go to China and I just stare at people um, and look at what they're doing. Uh, Is China the place to be to, to sort of see cutting-edge um, stuff? In some ways, like yeah. it sounds a Behaviors. bit, it sounds a bit simplistic. I mean, I think the, it, the WeChat I, stuff is pretty cool. Ideally, we'd sort of spend a bit of time in Estonia, you know, a couple of weekends in Bucharest, then go to like Tel Aviv, and then Shenzhen, and then yeah. some small hill. Town I do want to hang out with you because you're, you're interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I have right? my moments. Um, <laughs> so I think ideally, you'd sort of be on this constant tour, which probably wouldn't involve going to Cannes. Yeah. Um, and probably would involve going to some weird sort of medieval French hillside town. and Right, and where drinking, they're doing something interesting. Drinking yeah. sort of pasties Yeah, or there I'm seeing a theme. With the <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Bars and... Uh, and I, ideally, you'd go everywhere and then you'd sort of see it all in perspective. Because again, if you, if you just went to Shenzhen and you'd saw people on the subways using their Huawei devices accessing ultra-fast Wi-Fi and sort of endlessly, moronically staring into phones, you sort of missed the reality of the fact that actually... A lot of the people that we're talking to are 65-year-old people who live in Cotswold villages uh, for whom streaming TV is quite new. And actually, they've got all the money these days. So I think, um, I think our, our job is to take it all in and then to sort of pro process uh, and produce sort of outputs um, that include all of it. Now, just one, one last question for you, since we both have these similar, have had similar innovation roles. Yeah. Do you feel like the agency, pretending you're not there now, but is the agency <laughs> the place to to drive all this? You know, is it is it is it brand agency? Is it do, do our agencies going to evolve from outside in, or how, what, what's going to be That's the biggest? A, it's a very good question. I yeah. think um, there are different ways to do this and I don't know the best way. I think if you worked in some brand organizations and you had enough seniority, then potentially you could be the person to do this. Um, you know, if you're a moderate sized brand that is actually future focused, then it's probably the easiest place because to some extent you can create your own reality. Probably the second best place is a media agency just because you're attached to the money. You mm -hmm, know, so mm -hmm. we spend tens of billions of dollars uh, on investments in our clients' future. And when you're dealing with that much money, one, people will listen to you. Um, yeah, two, yeah. people will sort of work with you and around you and make it happen. Uh, and three, you're surrounded by relatively large figures that mean that an investment that's you know about something that's unproven uh, that you can learn from doesn't seem like a vast amount of money in that context. Oh, that's a really good perspective on this. Well, we're going to wrap up here. We're broadcasting live from AdTech New York, right? Made, powered by AdTech at the Javits Center 2016. And we've been talking to Tom Goodwin, who's EVP of Innovation at Zenith Media, doing all sorts of cool things, looking at everything and distilling what the right solutions are for different client base. So you're, you've really got, I mean, and I had this job too at one point, 
a really cool job. It's ultimately. a very cool job. And, and, you, and you really have a really broad sense of all the cool things that are happening. I am very lucky. All right, tell us one, before we go, what is the one cool thing we should all check out? Uh, Any one a, cool a thing? Technology? Yeah. Um, if we could try Magic Leap, uh, I think we would either... Could we? It's, it's either going to be the most life-changing thing that changes the face of reality or the next Theranos. Right. Um, <laughs> the biggest money spend. For legal no reasons, I'm probably thinking it's the former. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, can't, I, can't, I can't wait for that one, too. And also, I want to get my hands on a HoloLens. You probably have. I, I have. I was I very early to try that. Yeah, I have It's amazing. It. Yeah. It's, it's totally amazing. Yeah. Um, but, um, again, we need to be, you know, you try these things. It's incredible. You can't sleep that night because it's so mind-bending. Ending. And then you sort of live in the real world and you think, well, actually, the thing about sort of AR or VR is they all sort of assume that somehow life is not great. And um, I'm a lucky person. And for me, I quite like touching things and feeling real things. So Right. You want to dance between the world. Yes. Well, we're wrapping it up here. Tom Goodwin, um, fascinating dude to talk with. Zenith. And we can find you at, at Tom Goodwin. or what At I Tom F. Goodwin, I think at I At Tom F. Goodwin. Because yeah. he's doing such cool stuff all over the world. Back to you, Ryan Treasure. Here, we reposition ourselves for the next 20 years of innovation-focused energy. It's time for us to shift and reimagine our role in the marketing ecosystem, ultimately to deliver new experiences for the 21st century marketer. This year, AdTech presents Made. Tuned in to Made Conference, powered by AdTech. Hello, everybody, and we are broadcasting live from Made, powered by AdTech 2016 in New York at the Javits Center. We are live on the conference floor, and we have been talking to a variety of the thought leaders that have come to speak at the show. And right now, we have the fabulous Allison Dollar. Hello. Who is president of the ITV Alliance. I am actually CEO, but CEO. that's okay. In my head, you're president of everything that you see. Well, I, I am, see. of the universe. <laughs> Allison is a very well-known pundit, moderator, host, businesswoman in the interactive TV space, in the startup TV tech, ad tech space. And you're here uh, moderating a panel on I that am. Da TV data. TV data for advanced television. Yeah. And I know you, do, you go to a lot of shows, you do a lot of putting uh, panels together yourself, and you and I are, are uh, I was going to say old colleagues, but I meant young colleagues that have known each other for a long time. Yes, we're <laughs> young in many respects with a, a veteran uh, perspective, that's for but sure. What would you say, because this is, um, you've been to ad tech, I'm sure, a gazillion times. I, in fact, uh, worked on the very first ad tech with Skip. Wow, did you really? I did. Uh, his office was down in Richmond, Virginia at the time. It was back in the mid-90s. Oh, wow. And I did some of the early programming grids for the show when it was well, launching. That's that, that is crazy land. Well, so you know um, what a day I've had. Well, yes, <laughs> I'm better you than me, my friend. Miss Tech Cat on the prowl. Well, 
Well, tell us what you think, because I know you're going to be addressing a lot of these issues. What are some of the hot TV data sort of questions right now that are rolling around in everybody's mind? Yeah, well, for TV in general, the very fundamental question is, what is the definition of television? And uh, that's a, a surprisingly wide range of answers that you get to that. Right, right, uh, right. Here at the you know, Interactive Television Alliance, our definition is digital video that is aggregated and branded and uh, distributed across multiple platforms. Interesting. So okay. some people will say digital video that stands alone is not TV. But I think younger people would beg to differ. To them, it's all one and the same. Well, so, so, and landing that definition is so important because why? It helps um, everybody build around you. Yeah, in the well, it helps define the universe of what data anybody even cares about, first of all. Right, right. And then what are the fields of data that need to be collected? I think in the early days of this, it was everyone was just, well, first in the early days of TV, everyone's so glad to know even who was tuned in, so to speak. Right, right. Now it's all broken down so discreetly and minutely because of the advent of pure digital cloud-based video that uh, now everyone wants the same thing. Who is, are they psychographically, demographically, and behaviorally, and all that sort of stuff? Uh, you, uh, reaching. When, when, you, um, when you meet people now, um, are they still falling into specific categories of the role that they play in the ecosystem, like distributor? you know, uh, tech platform, advertiser, content creator, or have the lines gotten more blurry now? Well, th I think they're beyond blurry uh, because for one thing, uh, everyone's in fear of their jobs, right? There's been yeah. so much chaos. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of people have to wear multiple hats. And the notion of uh, giving value and service if you are on the vendor side is really ratcheted up, and that is something we'll be talking about tomorrow. And also being drowning in data. So there's th those lines are blurring all across the world in terms of operationally as well, inside these agencies, inside the networks and the studios, and even on the production side, because if you want to do certain things up front, for instance, to be able to have some uh, metadata attached from the very front end, then even now production that used to be just farmed out, they have to be at the table in the very beginning to design what's going to happen with these campaigns. And then when you put social into the mix and the rest of this transaction of click to buy or whatever kind of environment you're in, and not to mention being, let's say, in an immersive VR environment and you want to make that transactable, oh, you're completely off the grid with everyone having to be in the room in mm. the very beginning. Well, so what happens in a scenario where Time Warner and AT&T merge? I mean, well, I, this is where I was going to next with this. So, uh, very first thing that we all looked at was AT&T and DirecTV. Uh, okay, and then now with this and these are huge mega numbers, of course, and the eighty-five billion. Why or whatever is the government is. letting this happen? Well, I mean, this was no my point. Me. Yeah, I think you saw my post on this. I yeah. was like so much for antitrust. I don't understand. So, is it because they're consumed with like you know? The, no, because I the think the FBI, you know, writing letters or is it uh, well, there is that. I think those. It's to our earlier point, which is those people have not noticed that the lines have blurred. So they're thinking it's even though it's distinct P&Ls and all of that maybe on paper operationally, those are not. That's not what happens in the workaday world in our space, as you know. There's, uh, you know, the but notion. They, they occupy every single part of the ecosystem. That is a monopoly. They that sell, is. they buy, they I distribute. Know. I know. 
Well, you know, we have uh, Tom Hagopian, who is our dear friend and uh, has a longtime champion of interactive television. In fact, was uh, back in the day in open TV and, and all those things. He's on your session. He's on my session tomorrow, and yeah. he was there at Direct TV uh, in the first phase of this, and now with Time Warner. Yeah, uh, it is, uh, I think it's really problematic at the least. I Obviously, as a trade association, 501c6, we're not going to take a position either way yeah. on the, sort of the denouement of this. But uh, I would say on the face of it, it's very troubling because you're talking about so many vast media outlets and other places where digital itself allows for a certain amount of control and that neutrality alone if somebody can literally turn some levers on and off to make all kinds of things happen when they're owning so much of the ecosystem. So that's a very interesting, but I was actually more interested in the CenturyLink announcement buying level three, because hmm. people aren't paying attention to the pipes. They're looking so much at content and there's been this explosion of content. And I think um, the stat on the upfronts was uh, even three or four years ago, it was like a hundred and something shows, and yeah, now now yeah. it was like four fifty or something yeah, crazy. Yeah, there's so too that there's explosion too many shows, and yeah. mushrooming of uh, content sources alone is really distracting everyone from the rest of what's right. actually happening in the ecosystem. So CenturyLink, this acquisition, thirty-five billion of level three. When you're talking about the pipes alone also being controlled, and then on these other limited partnerships from the massive uh, content owners. It's a really brave new world, let's put it that way. I, I, I just don't understand why they've let that go. And I and I, I have friends that are at a variety of companies and I watch them sort of be forced to toe the company line when they start to get at these mega corporations. Yeah. You know, like inviting them to, to come and have conversations like this would be impossible because they're not allowed to say anything. Well, no, of course, they have to tiptoe around and uh, no one's going to be able to talk about anything. <laughs> careers are at stake, and I appreciate that. But there is a point at which there has to be some more longitudinal thinking and true strategic thinking as an industry that we yeah. need to do. And it only happens in co situations, conversations like this. It doesn't really happen. And that's actually, that is why originally we founded the ITA to do that. But the business is so complex now and it's so big it's very hard to harness everybody in the room and make that happen uh, in any substantive way where it's going to affect Washington what do you think um, what do you think is the most interesting either new tech or new behavior that has popped up in the last six months that's really going to impact our world well, you know, everybody's so besotted with VR and AR, and I do think that it's going to have a huge impact. But I think more things like here you have, I think it's called Effective here on the show floor. Effectiva? Effectiva. Yeah. Where we're talking about the psychographic end of this, uh, where there's predictive analytics that are also attached to human behavior and right, psychographics. So neuromarketing. Neuro neuromarketing yeah. and the emotive part of our behavior, and especially just in time and making things so relevant and timely for transaction yeah. that those are the kinds of things that I've been looking so at. So really matchmaking true behavior but not just behavior because someone answered a questionnaire 
But really understanding the psychographics of somebody. Well, also just bringing this back around to my session on the big data aspect of this, of that metadata is set up in such a sophisticated way where everything is served just in time. It all has to do specifically with all these emotions and the actual environment and experience as it happens, especially in these retail environments or other out of home, which I love. Yep. To transaction and to move product. You see lift in sales. That's what really the advertiser mm -hmm. and the brand wants. It's not just you know historic brand awareness. It is actually behavioral, and uh, that's where it's all heading and kind of has to head. So these other kinds of uh, platforms that allow for all of that to happen earlier and more efficiently, those are the winners that I see coming huh. up. And is there also any company right now that you think is doing it right? Like just really moving through this crazy space in a smart way? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't see that. I see a lot of the, uh, the typical bureaucracy and a lot of lip service, and I don't see a lot of traction and action, except for individual creative teams that do things like NBC Uni and the usual suspects that win our uh, Emmy. The, the you interactive know, Emmys, right? Interactive right. Emmy. But otherwise, yeah. no. So, no. so on the ad tech floor now, you know, ad, ad tech is sort of becoming a subcategory inside of MarTech. Mm -hmm. Is that concept of the storytelling leveraged by the technology you think also going to have impact on, on what you're oh, saying? Oh, I think it's really going to be, I think that's part and parcel of what I was addressing earlier, which is the emotional attachment to brands and being engaged in brands in a greater and greater social and emotionally um, not just relevant, but measurable way. Absolutely, it's all about the story tech, and all about Marcom. Oh, story tech, Allison uh, just mentioned my I company. I did, I dropped Lori's <laughs> company name in there. Well, we know you're prescient, you are the tech cat after all. But yeah, I think that's absolutely what it is. It has to all be bigger and bigger umbrellas, and then within those umbrellas, how do you discreetly make these plans that are completely strategic and deliver tactically? And it's absolutely Marcom, that part of it, that ad tech is a driver, a little engine underneath this big umbrella of MarTech that has to be diffused throughout the marketplace. So so well put. Just to, to wrap it up, Allison, where are you going to be next? Where can folks come and hear you? or? What are you doing next that we can uh, look forward well, to? Well, you know, I try to keep uh, away from CES every year, and that's never going to happen. because no, I'm going to make you do stuff with You're me. You're going <laughs> to make you do stuff. Um, you know, we have some big Silicon Beach uh, events coming up with American Marketing Association, okay. which um, anybody just give me a ping, and I'll let you know. It's where, where can we find you? A-L-L-I-S-O-N at itvalliance.org. Uh, and that's the best way. And if anyone wants to get involved with uh, the the ITA, wh where you know what what will they get out of uh, uh, creating a relationship with ITA? Joining well, they get all of my wit and wisdom, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a lot of speaking engagements and some deal making, which is what we're really about. We're really about the boutique room where actual business happens. That's what. That's what fantastic. our hallmark is. The fabulous Allison Dollar, CEO of the ITA and also one of the smartest people I know oh, in listen, the world. Listen, right back <laughs> at you, right back at you. We love you, Lori. Okay. Well, okay. we are broadcasting live from AdTech New York 2016, made powered by AdTech, right on the expo floor, talking to fabulous thought leaders like Allison Dollar. Allison, thank you for joining thank us. Thank you so much. Great to see you.
You're tuned in to Made Conference, powered by AdTech. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.